From the Heritage Foundation, this is Heritage Explains. One of the lesser-known turning points in American history is known as the Battle of Cowpens, which is, as it sounds, a revolutionary war battle that took place near the town of Cowpens, South Carolina, in January of 1781. The Americans, mostly militia and commanded by the renowned Brigadier General Daniel Morgan, were facing down a force of experienced British infantry, cavalry, and artillery. At first, the British seemed to have the upper hand. Then, one of the American commanders, whose units were in the middle of the line, made a signal that his troops mistakenly understood as an order to retreat. They did so, and the British saw victory in their grasp. They charged. But General Morgan saw an opportunity. The British were being drawn into the American lines. He ordered the retreating units to turn around and fire. The British troops were confused and disorganized, and many quickly surrendered. By the time the battle was over, nearly all of the 1,100 British troops were killed, wounded, or captured. In comparison, the American loss was minimal. The victory at Cowpens turned the tide for the American Revolution in the South and was one of the factors leading to American victory at the Battle of Yorktown later that year. General Morgan demonstrated a skill that all military commanders must employ the ability to decide when and where to apply resources to yield the best results. In all conflicts, leaders must make similar choices, often under difficult circumstances. One such set of choices lies before the American government today in the matter of the conflict in Ukraine. The question of how best to aid the country in its war against Russia has divided Americans. The Biden administration's recent National Security Supplemental Budget request contains over $60 billion in aid for Ukraine. Is this the right policy move? Senior policy analyst Wilson Beaver from the Allison Center for National Security here at the Heritage Foundation explains. So, Wilson, how did you get into this national security work? Well, I started off in the U.S. Army. I spent five years in Army intelligence, uh, stationed in Europe, did lots of NATO exercises, stuff like that, deployment to Iraq. Uh, After that, worked in the Senate for a while, and now I'm here. So we're here today to talk about Ukraine aid, which is very much a hot-button issue right now. The conflict in Ukraine has caused a lot of division here in the United States, even here among us on the right side of the aisle, mm-hmm. where opinions diverge greatly about how we should approach aid to Ukraine. Yeah, what's our position on the conflict in Ukraine? Well, from top down, the Heritage Foundation is broadly supportive of Ukrainians' efforts to defend themselves. But... We think that American military spending has to flow from American defense strategy and that the United States has limited resources and has to focus on what's primary. The national defense strategy for years now over successive administrations has identified China as the primary challenge for the United States. 
Russia's honestly not even a secondary threat. Russia, their economy is smaller than several European countries individually, and it is a mere fraction of the European Union as a total. The Europeans have the ability to defend themselves and really ought to be doing a lot more in Ukraine. The United States is still the biggest military donor to Ukraine as compared to the rest of NATO. We need to be focused on China. We need to be focused on the Indo-Pacific. Um, I would love if there was a sort of supplemental with offsets that was focused on addressing all of the shortfalls the U.S. military faces right now in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, we have tons of them. We have problems and munitions shortages and rusting ships. Instead, we're sending all these munitions to Ukraine in a region that hasn't even been identified as our main focus. So right now, the Ukraine aid has been in the news quite a bit um, because of a lot of the fights that are going on on Capitol Hill. So can you give our listeners the overview of what is going on um, with Ukraine aid vis-a-vis legislation? Basically, the House has been saying for a while now that they're not going to do Ukraine aid. They're not even going to consider it unless the Senate gives them major concessions on border security. As we've all seen, uh, the border is wide open. There are thousands of people entering illegally every day. And the Senate brought forward a border package, as they called it, despite still being overwhelmingly an aid package for Ukraine, that had an absolute joke of a border security uh, package included in it. For reasons I won't go into, uh, the House roundly rejected this. The Senate did too. And instead, the Senate decided to send over a new package that is only focused on security aid. They stripped out all the border security stuff and said, we'll focus on that later. And now here is a package that is roughly $60 billion for Ukraine aid and another 35-odd billion for other priorities. <clears throat> and that's where, we, that's where we stand now. The House uh, now has the option to consider that. We don't know if the Speaker's even going to bring it up for a vote. But if it does, that's where the debate is at this point. Although there's also other packages uh, coming up within the House that, like, there's talk of a skinny supplemental. There's talk of all sorts of alternative supplementals that focus on one of the issues at play. China, Israel, the Indo-Pacific, maybe tied in with border again. It's, there's a lot that could change in the next week or so. I think it's always a bad thing when you have three or four totally different issues all jammed into one uh, piece of legislation. These are very separate issues that deserve to be considered as separate issues. I think there should be one vote on Ukraine aid, one vote on Israel aid, and then a consideration of some actual strict border policies to get the border back under control. And uh, if they were considered that way, then it would allow the entire package to be considered on its merits instead of sort of offering uh, little give-me's to each interested group to try to get what is primarily a Ukraine aid bill through. Because, let's see, I think it's roughly $14 billion for Israel, but $60 billion for Ukraine. So this bill lays out a pretty disproportionate amount of aid to Ukraine. What does it actually look like in terms of the U.S. participating? Are we just kind of dropping this big pallet of money over there, or is this in the form of arms? What does that look like? So it's a number of different things. Um, Roughly 43 $0.6 $0.6 billion of it is in uh, munitions and equipment transfers. So that's the, the bulk of the spending, although there is then $7 or $8 billion worth of fiscal aid to the government of Ukraine, which is the first thing that most conservatives would advocate to be stripped out. Some of them are relatively low amounts in comparison, but especially uh, egregious from our perspective. For example, 
I think there's, what is it, $300 million to, quote, help Ukraine protect its borders and promote the rule of law. That's you know, it's kind of a slap in the face to the people who are advocating for more border security here at home. But the far larger amounts are primarily for uh, weapons spending. When the advocates of this bill come to conservatives, they generally try to promote it as a replenishment of the defense industrial base. They say, see, this is good, right? You want a strong American military. Um, you have been talking about all these equipment and munitions shortages that the U.S. military is facing. Why aren't you happy? Here we go. Here's uh, 20-odd billion dollars in munitions replenishment spending. But elsewhere in the bill, you'll see that the only reason this replenishment spending is there is to sort of act as a one-for-one replacement for all the munitions that they're planning on sending to Ukraine. Uh, this bill has $7.8 billion additional dollars in authority for the president to send uh, munitions that are currently in U.S. units or warehouses to the Ukrainian government. It's called PDA, Presidential Drawdown Authority. And basically, the law only authorizes $100 million of aid to be sent through this mechanism a year. But this bill would increase that amount for the rest of fiscal year 2024 to $7.8 billion, which would be a dramatic increase in the rate of munitions and equipment leaving American military units and warehouses and being sent directly to Ukraine. We think that's an issue because there's a very real possibility of a crisis in the Indo-Pacific over the next couple of years. And the money that's in this bill for replenishment will take years to replenish what's being sent. So the U.S. military is honestly just not going to have enough munitions for a major contingency if they send all this stuff out. So if they were serious about reinvigorating the U.S. military and addressing all these shortfalls, that's what they would be proposing. It would not be controversial if they were saying, hey, the U.S. military has all these uh, munitions shortages and rusting ships. We need more money for the U.S. military here at home so that we can deter China. That would not be controversial. I think that would probably pass, especially if it had offsets in the way uh, the House is discussing. But that's not what they're asking for. Every single section of the current bill has the addendum to address the situation in Ukraine. That's what it's for. This is a Ukraine military aid package, and it's honestly dishonest to frame it any other way. How would you respond to folks who look at this and say, as Americans, if we are not in support of something like this, we are in support of Putin, we're in support of evil, and it's our moral imperative to support more aid for Ukraine. How would you respond? I would respond that the United States military cannot be everywhere all the time involved in every military action taking place all across the planet. There's dozens of wars taking place across the planet at basically any given time. We can't be involved in every single one. Ukraine is not a treaty ally of the United States. It's not part of NATO. And it just so happens to be on a continent full of wealthy friends of the United States who have the ability to support it if they choose to. The United States needs to focus on the national security concerns of the United States, how to protect American citizens, their their well-being, and their security. And repeatedly, we have identified the primary threat to the national security of the United States as China, and that's where we need to be focused. Wilson Beaver, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Wilson Beaver for his contribution to today's episode. You can find more from Wilson on X at Wilson C. Beaver. For further reading, you can find his piece in the Daily Signal on this topic, linked in the show notes. And thank you, as always, to you for listening to Heritage Explains. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or questions, you can email us at heritageexplains at heritage.org. Take care. We'll see you next week.
Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It's written and produced by Mark Ghani, Lauren Evans, and John Pop.